This is the Brighter Web Podcast, insights on growing a small business using the latest technology and marketing best practices. I'm Robert, and I'm here with Mickey, and uh, so I wanted to, to dig in a little bit on uh, SEO, Mickey, so why don't you start us off, what, like, what does that even stand for? So SEO, of course, is search engine optimization. It's the idea of trying to get your site to rank better in Google and Bing and others to some degree. And really, there's two different ways to approach it. There's organic SEO, where you generate great content and try to get your site to rank better organically, and then paid SEO, like Google Ads, that sort of thing. Today, we're going to focus on organic. Um, and as we get into it, the main thing I like to get across is that Google doesn't change the rules all that often. People complain that Google changes the rules all the time, and really, my take is that Google gets better at enforcing the rules. They, they set the rules back in 1998, you know, produce great content and don't cheat, and most of their updates are just following up on that. Certainly some new things have come in. We didn't have mobile phones back then, and that matters more now. But really, the rules don't change, so don't overthink it. Great content is going to get you a long way. Cool. Well, thanks for that good overview of what SEO is. It's obviously something we talk about a lot in marketing, um, and it's pretty important for getting found on the web. So, um, you know, it can be pretty overwhelming to dive into a topic that's that big. Uh, But, you know, as you've told me before, there are kind of three general buckets uh, that kind of SEO fits into it, to, you know, having a good SEO strategy. So what's, what's kind of the first thing that you'd say for a business person uh, to get started with, with SEO? So I think the first big bucket is just the technical side of things. And, and this is becoming easier and easier in most cases. Things, tools like WordPress and Shopify and those handle a lot of that automatically for you. But there's some things you can do better. So uh, the first one is speed. You know, faster site loads better. In terms of WordPress, I always say you should have a simple theme that is dumb and pretty. You know, have a theme that it looks great, of course. You want a good-looking site, but themes that are loaded with tons of features and stuff you don't use are going to slow you down and make things makes things tough. And using a good host is always going to help with speed as well and security. If you get hacked, of course, that's not good. And by good host, I'm talking a host that costs like $15 a month, which is a lot in the hosting world. There are hosts out there for you know three or four dollars a month, but in the grand scheme of things, 15 bucks a month isn't really anything. Who do we use again for hosting? I like Flywheel. They're owned by WP Engine. Um, either of those are great. Lots of great hosts out there. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Flywheel is certainly my top choice. But there's, you could argue the other ones are better, and you may be right. But <laughs> happy to have that conversation. Um, another big piece for technical is having your site be mobile responsive. You know, so the one site loads the same content on your phone versus your tablet versus your desktop, and just kind of reformats it to fit that device. Again, most themes kind of handle that automatically these days. It's not a big deal anymore, but worth. Testing to make sure it works well. I want to jump in right quick with a quick uh, point of clarification because, you know, a few years ago there used to be mobile straight up sites, right? Like it was a separate mobile website versus the desktop website. So there is a slight difference between being that, a mobile site, and being mobile responsive. So I don't know if you want to unpack that for just a quick second. Yeah, and so the idea here is you have that one site that just kind of bends and flexes to fit whatever device you throw it at. Whereas before, yeah, you sort of had to have a separate mobile site. The tricky part now is what is mobile? I mean, there's small phones and big phones, and you get into small tablets that are like the same size as bigger phones, and then bigger tablets that are about the same size as a laptop, and there's no clear dividing line between mobile and, quote, desktop. Mm-hmm. And so just having a site that'll bend and flex and fit any device you throw at it is, is the best way to go. That's, a, that's an interesting, like, philosophical question. <laughs> Maybe for fair. another time. Like, what is mobile anymore? Yeah. <laughs> Can you shove an iPad into your pocket and walk around with it? Maybe, probably... 
pretty soon you'll, yeah. you'll be able to have that. You may be able to, yeah. Yeah. And looking like at Green Melon stats in Google Analytics, we have hundreds and hundreds of different screen resolutions that browse our site every month. And so, yeah, finding what's mobile and what's not is such a tricky thing. So, a well-designed mobile responsive site will just work for all of them. Yeah. Uh, next piece is SSL, just having a secure site. Uh, this is where at the very top, instead of HTTP, it's HTTPS which to be honest, doesn't really matter for most sites from a security standpoint. It doesn't help you not get hacked or anything. It just protects the data coming to and from your site. So if you're selling a product and taking credit cards, it's essential. If you have a blog, it's not as essential, but Google looks at it and it's a ranking factor. So therefore it is essential. So like even on my blog, I have SSL. There's no technical reason really I should have it, but Google looks at it, it looks good. It shows a nice green padlock, so it's worth having it on there. And most hosts, especially the good ones like we talked about before, include SSL for free. So there's no longer the technical or financial barrier to it. It's easy to do. Do people need to know what SSL even stands for? Because I don't think I do. Yeah, basically it means secure socket layer. There's different levels of it. There's different technologies. But basically it means if you browse a website normally without SSL, if someone's sitting in the middle, they can see what you're typing and what's going on on the site, which, again, on my blog, I don't care if people see that. Uh, but if I'm typing a credit card in they could see that too. And this encrypts that data as it travels from us to the site. And so it just makes it safer for credit cards and that kind of information. Okay. And then the last technical thing is very WordPress specific. Um, we'll talk more about this in future episodes. But in WordPress, in the settings, there's a checkbox that says, discourage search engines from indexing this site. <laughs> discourage. Yeah, discourage. And yeah, it, Well, they make it even clear in there that not all search engines will listen to that, but Google mm -hmm. and Bing and any reputable one will, and they will literally stop coming to your site. You will not show up in Google if this one stupid little checkbox is checked. And so it's worth just checking on that checkbox to make sure it's not checked. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially toggling on or off a little piece of code, right, that yep. says, hey, don't don't bother listing us on your site, Google or Bing. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in some cases, that sounds like that might be something that some sites want to use. But for most of us, we want to get found Correct. on on search engines. That's the kind of point of this episode. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say 99% of the time when that checkbox is checked, it was by mistake and right. someone didn't mean to. The one time, the reason it's there, because some people say, why even have that, is because if you're building a new site on a test domain, yeah. you don't want Google to see your new site and your old site at the same time because it's going to confuse them. So your testing sites should have that checked. And that's where the problem comes in. People have a testing site, they properly check that box to hide Google, and then they go live and in the chaos of going live, they forget to uncheck it. And yeah, Google listens very well and they just disappear until you uncheck that box and then it takes weeks to recover. So mm -hmm. just a little yeah. thing there. Okay. Well, that was a really good overview of all the technical stuff. <laughs> Some of, of the technical. Of SEO. Yeah. yeah. There's there's a lot more that goes into it, but that's a good, yeah, that's a good summation for, for anybody, especially the non-technical folks uh, like me. You're not, you're a lot more technical than I am. So, uh, you know, I, I focus a lot more on the content side of things. So I think that's, that's the next kind of bucket that you're talking about, right? Is the, is the on-site kind of content and how that impacts SEO. For sure. And that's, that's the main thing. The technical stuff should just take care of itself most of the time. Look for some of those things we talked about, but don't overthink it. But content is really what Google's after. Google wants to surface the best content. And if you look at it from their perspective, when someone does a search, Google wants to give them a great result for it because if they don't, people will stop using Google. And so really there's two angles to look at there. One is the keywords. Um, just making sure you're targeting the right keywords in your content. Um, avoid jargon you know, to the extent possible. If you have some fancy word for things that people don't search for, use the word that people search for and then teach them your fancy jargon later. Right. You know, use just common words that people might search for when looking for your thing. 
And then in terms of placement, really, if you just put it in the title of your page and title of your post, that is by far the most useful place to put that, that keyword. You know, if you can title your pages and posts with those keywords in them, you're well on your way. Yeah, avoiding jargon is probably a good marketing best practice just in general. <laughs> yes, But that, sure. that speaks to, I think, your point of, yeah, if you're making a good user experience, then Google and Bing and all those other search engines are going to reward you because they want to give people sites that, that give them a good experience. So it's kind of a, a circular thing in a way. So yeah, avoiding jargon and, and making sure that what your content is all about is very clear and upfront. Yep, for sure. And then in terms of the content itself, two other quick thoughts there. One is to use good headers on your page. And to your point again, this not only is good for Google and Bing and stuff, it's good for your users to have headers going down the page to break up the content and make it readable. But Google will look at what those headers are and see what's going on. And to a further extent, separate your content into separate pages to the extent where it makes sense. You know, Google doesn't rank websites. They don't say this site's all about whatever. They rank specific pages based on what that page is about. If you do a search for most anything, Google's not going to give you a list of home pages. It's going to give you specific deep pages on those sites that talk about that exact thing. So for example, if you have eight services that your company offers and you have a our services page that lists them all, you're not going to rank well for any of those services. You might rank well for the word our services, but you're competing against a lot of other companies there too. But if you have a separate page for each service, then when someone searches for that service, Google will say, hey, this one page talks about that exact thing you're looking for. Go check that out. Yeah. So more pages, generally speaking, is better if you can provide great content on each of those pages. Right, and, and be focused on a specific thing. Be focused on whatever that service is or whatever that blog post is about or something like that. The more focused and, and quality that you can be with that content on that page is going gonna, is gonna to help you out. For sure. And to that point too, blog posts, by and large are considered separate pages. You know, people see pages and posts and from our end we see them as different things, but from Google's perspective, they're both just separate pages. There's a page that's about one of your services, there's a page that's a blog post. It's just a page that could come up in a search result. So that's why blogs can be so good. It's a great way to get lots more content out there and many more separate pages for Google to perhaps show to people when they visit. Yeah, absolutely. So blogging is, is still relevant, which I'm sure is going to be another yeah. topic that we'll probably talk about again because that's a, that's a whole other uh, thing to dive into. So, all right. So we've we kind of covered the technical aspects of SEO. We talked about content uh, on-site, which is really, really important. So what's, what's the third kind of bucket that you'd address when you're helping somebody with SEO? And the third one's the toughest, but it's the off-site signal. So the on-site, the content, you can control yourself, but off-site is kind of what put Google on the map. They decided in 1998 that if one site links to another, that's kind of a vote of confidence for that site, and they rank a little bit better for it. So getting more sites to link to yours is hugely valuable, uh, but becoming very, very difficult, too, because it's been abused for the last 20 years. You know, the, you can't just trade links with someone or do any of those little tricks like you used to before. It's very hard to get those inbound links. Uh, but there are two things you can do that can help. One is, again, writing great content. I know on my blog, I link off to other resources all the time. If I see great content out there, I will link to that great content because people that read my blog will appreciate me sharing the content and Google will see the link and give that other site a boost, which they deserve because they wrote great content. So that's one way. And then there's other low-hanging fruit you can go after. If you're a member of your local chamber of commerce or a business association or anything like that, you have a profile on those sites and those profiles almost always include links. And Google generally says, hey, this is a chamber of commerce site. It's generally well-respected. If you have a link from it to your site, that's a point in your favor, a small point. But if you can find some of those places where you're mentioned or you have profiles, getting those links will help a little bit. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And 
To your point, yeah. There's no more uh, backlink farms anymore. Right. <laughs> you know, those those have kind of been shut down because Google realized, hey, those are trying to they're trying to game the system here. Let's let's not do that. But yeah, trying to build reputations and connect with other other sites and um, yeah, that that's kind of one of the most general things that you can help, especially when it comes to offsite links, which which are a little bit out of your control, but yeah. you can influence those things. And this goes back to what I said at the very beginning, where Google's not changing the rules much. You know, people say, oh, they hammered all these sites for these bad links. Google's changing the rules, but Google said that from day one, like don't create these link farms and do silly things. And Google's just getting better at cracking down on that. So the yes. more you follow the rules, when you hear about a big algorithm update, you can rest well knowing they're going to knock a lot of spammers off and you're going to slide up a couple spots higher if you follow the rules. And it's, it's great. Yeah, so, yeah. To your point that you said before that like they really haven't changed the rules a ton. They just, they're tweaking the way that they enforce those rules. Exactly. They're, they're figuring out better ways to be more efficient to, to help give you the websites that you want to see. Yeah. To, to recap right quick, uh, the technical aspects of the website are, are really important, but usually kind of one-off things that you've got to do on the on the back end of your site. You want to continue to deliver great content on the front end of your site um, and then work with other businesses, other sites to build kind of relationships that link back to you. So those are kind of, would you say that's a good summary of of how a business could kind of build good SEO yep, for their website? Yeah, it really, the way I say it is don't mess up the technical stuff and produce great content. Okay. And that's kind of the key right there. So That, that yeah. seems pretty doable. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a lot more manageable than just like, oh, go go do SEO. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brighter Web Podcast with uh, Robert and Mickey. Uh, we are marketing people over at Green Melon. Uh, you can visit our blog at greenmelonmedia.com uh, for more great content like this. Uh, and if you want to get the show notes for this episode and more, uh, visit abrighterweb.com.